Hello, everybody. Before we jump into today's episode, we have two sponsors we want to say thank you to for supporting this show. The first one is Routine. You guys have heard me talk about Routine, honestly, back from the early days of the podcast, and it's still a product I use every single morning. They have a prompt for me here. I'm going to do a little impromptu on this ad read today because, honestly, this is a product that I truly believe in, and so I'm, going to, I'm just going to tell you guys exactly what I think and why. First and foremost, um, this is a stat that they shared, but when you sleep, you lose between a pound and a pound and a half of water, and most of that's just sweating while you sleep. Um, I used to not know if that was actually true, to be honest. I felt like a pound to a pound and a half of water seemed like quite a bit while I slept. But the one thing I did constantly pay attention to when I started using a routine was just the fact that before using a routine, I always felt a little dehydrated in the morning. And and I'm one of those people that when I get up, I get up really early usually. I work out. One of the, one of the first things I do is some form of fitness. It's just like what I do before everyone's awake. And so it's very easy for me to grab a coffee, you know, pre-workout, an energy drink, something with caffeine in it, and just go. When I am good about using routine first, I basically take, they come in these little single serve packets. Um, they contain half an organic lemon, a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar, Himalayan sea salt, all six essential electrolytes, and they have no sugar in them at all. A lot of hydration products are going to have sugar. So one of the things routine one of the things about routine that I love is that there's no sugar in there. Um, so when I am good about doing this consistently, I will take one of those single serve packets, I'll throw it in my mixer bottle. And whether I also put in a pre-workout or something with caffeine, or I just drink that separately, I try to drink that first. And the days I do that, I do genuinely feel hydrated and just have a different form of clarity all morning. A lot of people have tried to make their own homemade versions of routine, right? You see people making they take an, a, a shot of the apple cider vinegar and they put a little sea salt, a little lemon in a drink. This is essentially that, but in a product that you can take with you on the go, have it ready for you first thing in the morning. I know me personally, when I'm groggy rolling out of bed, the last thing I want to do is you know squeeze a lemon, cut lemons up, go get the apple cider vinegar, find my sea salt. I just rip this packet open, throw it in my water, drink it, and it's good to go. You can try yours today. If you haven't tried it yet and you've been listening to this podcast for years, just try the damn routine. Give it a shot. You can use code ShaneWhite30 and get 30% off your first order. So you get 30% off by using code ShaneWhite30 and go to yourroutine.com. To make it even easier, I've added the link to yourroutine.com in the show notes. So just click on the show notes for this episode. Click on the link to yourroutine.com and don't forget to use code ShaneWhite30. All right, guys. Today's episode is also brought to you by to you. It's brought to you by NeuroRoast. Again, I'm going to go a little off script here. NeuroRoast is a product that I also came across during this year of 2023. They are a, a coffee brand, coffee company that's helping you optimize your brain function and overall well-being. This is another product that, to be honest with you, when I first started working with it, I was a little on the fence. I was like, do I really want to have mushrooms in my coffee? Well, folks, I will tell you when I use NeuroRoast, one of the things that has stood out to me the most is in, well, I'll back up. People that know me know that I have way too much caffeine, typically. One of the things this year I've done a good job of is cutting out alcohol. Not completely, but predominantly, I don't touch a lot of alcohol anymore. What I think I've actually done the other way, though, is added a lot more caffeine. So I do, I do definitely drink too much caffeine. That's something I need to work on next year is to try to minimize how much of that, but NeuroRoast is something that has actually helped me. Because of the way they've formulated their coffee, 
like unlike regular coffee, which is, you know, still something I consume, but NeuroRoast specifically um, doesn't cause jitters or crashes. Mushroom coffee provides more balance and sustained energy, allowing you to stay focused and productive throughout the day. So the times I do use NeuroRoast, I'll be honest, I, I just don't feel that jittery, like I'm jumping out of my chair or standing here at my desk, jumping around feeling. So give NeuroRoast a try. They have some really good flavors. I'll be honest too. The two guys that started NeuroRoast are just really good, really good dudes based out of New York and uh, they're hustling and, and hopefully they can, they can get some people to try NeuroRoast this holiday season um, by listening to this podcast. So for you folks who've been on the fence, I'm telling you, it tastes delicious. They've done a fantastic job of making this coffee not only be functional, but taste fantastic. And if you want to try NeuroRoast, you can use code Shane White. So it's super simple, just Shane White at checkout. Um, you'll also get 30% off. So if you go to neuroroast.com, and once again, I have added that to the show notes. So just click into the show notes while you're listening to this episode. You can click on NeuroRoast link directly. Don't forget to use code just Shane White, and you'll get 30% off your order. Um, hope you guys love both these products. I'm trying to not only bring you guys products that I use, but that I believe in on the podcast. Uh, I'm not taking ad reads for any brands that I don't really believe in. So anyway, hope you guys love both those products, yourroutine.com and neuroroast.com. I've added those links to the show notes. I uh, hope you guys love it. And I got an awesome guest coming up right after this. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Shane White Show. I am pumped today to have Melissa Facini, Facina, sorry, butchered that, back on the podcast. All well, first, practicing for nothing. I didn't practice. That was the problem. I didn't practice that one again. You know what's funny? I just typed your name out because I have to name, I named the videos, I hit record, and I should have said it out loud. I usually do that. Um, okay. Welcome back to the show. And My kids standing here on the side of me, like flagging me like this, like asking me a question. I'm like, dude, I told you we were about to record a podcast. Just get out of here. So you probably saw that at the same time. That I, I, I saw you I saw you say get out of here. That's why I have my door closed too. My, yeah. my dog loves to come in here and be a part of it, which I usually love, but he's just, he'll, uh, he'll do a a sporadic just bark for no reason like he heard someone outside and it's he's a big chocolate lab so i i've learned that the hard way on this podcast a few times anyway welcome to the show melissa glad to have you back for everyone who's listening unfortunately the, the news to deliver to everybody is we we've god how long has it been i have to go back and look at the date we we filmed our first episode it's been like four months because i yeah at least ghosted chain really badly so no no you haven't no you haven't that's not true. That's not we, true. We recorded but, what I thought was the best podcast, at least that I've ever done. It was good. No, it was really, really um, good. And then he 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 writes me like an hour later and was like, oh my gosh, did you happen to be recording that? I got an error on my audio. And I'm like, no, I don't have it. Without getting into the weeds for everybody, we use Riverside here and usually it works phenomenally. For whatever reason, it did not upload. It's like, because it uploads like on your computer and my computer and then the background, that way the video quality is better, long story short. Um, so yeah, we lost it. So long story short, we lost, we lost. The, it's like, actually, I should send you clips of it because you can like see and hear me and then hear and see you in parts of it, but not together. So it's frustrating. It's like obnoxious. But anyway, welcome back to the show. So this is this is us redoing this. For everyone listening, Melissa, who doesn't know who you are and doesn't know what City Capital and City Ops is, would you mind just giving everyone a quick background of you and, and your company? Sure. 
Um, so City Capital is a growth equity firm uh, that plays very heavily in CPG and in food tech. Uh, food tech is in quotes because we're not talking about kind of, I think, some of the plant-based analogs that people talk about today. We're talking about foods of the future, generally asset-heavy businesses, precision fermentation, cellular agriculture, things that will feed the planet in 20, 30 years from now. Um, City Capital's unique firm. I believe it is the only one uh, of its current structure in CPG. And what I mean by that is we have a full-on operating team. Uh, we are very private equity style uh, in the sense that of our team of 25, we're about one-third investors, two-thirds operators. Those operators work for City Capital. They're not operating partners. They don't come in and out of our projects and other projects. Um, we very closely diligence investment deals the way any typical investor does. But when we find flaws in a business, and let's be honest, every business has flaws and that's perfectly sure. acceptable and reasonable. Um, we have a team that can actually go in there and help support, build, fix, secure, uh, that infrastructure. Um, you mentioned city ops. Thank you for doing that. That was my predecessor firm I built. Uh, City Ops has built 425 food and beverage businesses. Um, that team often, on an annual basis, launches about 220 to 250 new items every year uh, across oh, wow. a product category. I don't think you threw that number out last time. That's huge. Uh, thank you. Um, we've negotiated a couple thousand co-manufacturing JV supply agreements across the firm. I've built uh, six facilities in North America that total about $250 million in asset value. So we are the operators at the table um, who were often hired on a client basis uh, and then got hired by investors to help stabilize mm. businesses that they had put capital in. Um, and then that moved to investors hiring us for diligence. At some point, we had been working with about 44 different VCs, PEs, family offices, and sovereign wealth funds around the world. Um, and really, that was when the light bulb went off for me, that if we have the team, we have the trust of the founders uh, in the space, we've got a lot of the operating know-how and capability, and we've got the trust of other investors at the table to diligence these businesses, we really should be investors ourselves. Um, so in COVID year, 2020, we very quickly uh, pulled together myself and my my co-founding partners, family office, former CEO of Credit Suisse USA, uh, and his son, who is a beautiful blend of a technology savant uh, and food, um, let's call I got, by the way, I got an alert at the bottom of my screen. It was a reminder and I panicked for a second. But oh, no. We're, yeah, we both have PTSD. Um, <laughs> He's a he's a he's an amazing mix of being truly a, a technology savant and a um, kind of obsessed with food. He's the one who runs our food tech platform. Okay. Um, we we launched City Capital Fund One literally uh, in the heart of COVID. We very quickly raised a seventy million dollar Fund One by very quickly. I think we had a one hour Zoom phone call. You raised um, seventy million on the one hour Zoom call. I, that's a little facetious. We raised about 55 million in commitments there and then wow. uh, went back for another one hour and pretty much got the rest of it. Um, but yes, uh, for the most part, that's right. Um, and that's then a, that's a very uh, successful Zoom call. It definitely was. Um, and while we will not publicly list our investors, they are truly some of the most prominent M&A players, um, CEOs, folks who have founded uh, large private equity institutions, banking, uh, et cetera, um, and, and CPG experts in the space. So um, 
fast forward to today, all of city capital is under one roof. That means city ops moved into city capital. Um, mm. We are all playing for the same thing. We all want to put our team to work to help our growth equity businesses. We're operating uh, out of a growth equity fund too. And probably like everyone else have moved upstream a little bit in this market in order to be able to deploy larger checks into more stable businesses. So that's us in a nutshell, the operating investors. Yeah, no, I love it. And I remember from the very first conversation when I first started learning about you guys, uh, just from being in the space, I remember being th thinking how interesting and honestly cool it was that you guys not only are investing in brands, but you also have this operating arm where you can actually go in and make an impact versus just deploying capital and ideas, right? So that was that was initially what got me really excited to, to meet you and have you on the podcast. Um, Melissa, to backtrack a little bit, obviously this podcast is all about going zero to one and how you got started. What you just explained to everybody is there's a lot there to unpack. So I would love to go back and I know, I know we're going to kind of talk through this again because you've already told me the story, but for everyone listening, could you give everyone a little bit of a rundown of before you launched City? What were you doing? How did the idea of City come about? That story itself is just really special. So I wanted to make sure we, we reshared that on the show. For sure. Thank you. Um, uh, I think the, the, the right way to put it is I was a total lost puppy. Uh, City Ops was a total mistake in terms of a thought process I had. If I go way back, um, I got my first job on a factory floor, at a, at a food factory floor, uh, at 11 years old. My father... Uh, was a factory worker and ultimately had, through a really strange kind of culmination of hard work and, and, and events, had an opportunity to buy a bankrupt fluid milk business. Um, oh, interesting. That dairy was kind of going downhill. People were moving a little bit away from fluid milk. And um, they also had some juice manufacturing lines. So ultimately, that business has now turned into the country's largest privately held juice manufacturing businesses. Um, oh. we also have a subset of dairy, but it's, it's true dairy, but it's yogurt. It's not fluid milk anymore. Um, and so I was 11 when my dad purchased, uh, this bankrupt business and we're now just over 25 years later, or actually almost 30 years later. Um, and it's very successful business still privately held. He still has it and operates it. I'm obviously not there anymore. Uh, but I did spend many years, um, both on the floor of, the heart of manufacturing as it was scaling uh, in R&D, um, in procurement, and really understanding what it meant to be a state-of-the-art manufacturer, what it meant to have you know clean steel around you, pumping out yeah. you know, several thousand units at a time, and being you know one of the best um, private label co-manufacturing and branded um, supply businesses around. And so what it gave me either through genetics or through exposure uh, was a love for operating, a love for efficient operating, a love for food. Uh, and as I got older, I realized that, that the food system was broken in a lot of ways. I didn't think I was going to have the opportunity to fix it in a high volume, low margin commodity driven business. Um, and if I'm being totally honest with everyone, um, I wasn't really given that choice. You know, my dad um, kind of believes that women belong in the kitchen and not in the boardroom and um, wanted to give us the gift. I say us, my brother and I, but, but make sure we could form our own path. Uh, and by doing that, we got kicked out of the nest. Um, was really pissed off about it for a really long period of time. Today, I'm 
honestly very grateful and thrilled about it. And, and it was one of the best experiences of my life to have to find out what I was made of personally. I would never have found that out otherwise. Um, but the reason I say I was a lost puppy is I left and, and had no idea what I was going to do. I was sure I would do anything but be in food. Okay. And I remember specifically wanting to get into sales. And why did I want to get into sales? Because I had thought that salespeople made $100,000 a year salary. And $100,000. So it was, it, was a, it was a financial thing. It was, so I am was fully purely financial. Financially. Uh, that's okay. just, I know what motivates me and that's what yeah. it is. Uh, yeah. And so I was like, I'm going to go into sales. I'm going to make a hundred grand a year. Um, and by the way, I like applied for every sales job in life, food or otherwise, and got rejected from all of them. Um, I was going to say, what, what do you remember some of those that you applied for? I'm just so curious. Yeah, sure. Like, like account managers at like AT&T or at a shoe, you know, sales company. I like literally applied everywhere, but, but okay. let me take you back and say, this was the heart of the recession. No mm. one was getting jobs. I was absolutely unqualified. I was going on Google and searching what sales resumes looked like and trying to copy them. Okay. Like I was a total mess. Um, and, and so I, I couldn't get a sales job. I ultimately, um, found one in New York city that was a hundred percent commission based where I had to nice. go sell like chiropractic and medical services. Um, I took it, I bet on myself. Um, and, and that showed me I had some sales chops. And by the way, I believe that sales is integral to any entrepreneur, no matter what you're doing, what you're building, what you're selling, you have to sell investors, you have to sell people to work for you, you have to sell customers. I mean, you are literally selling all day long, uh, no matter yeah. what it is. Totally so, agree. So fast forward, I clearly found out that being in medical sales was not it for me. Um, and um, had a had a small stint at a, at a firm, probably we all know a recruitment firm in this space called Force Brands, um, okay. a great yeah. work there named Josh Wand. Um, Josh also ultimately threw me out of his nest and told me that I was meant to be an entrepreneur and that uh, to be a good friend of mine meant he had to throw me out and give me the opportunity to do that. Um, yeah, this this so is the I, part of the story that I thought was so interesting. It was right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, um, and by the way, I will say, and I have taken this forward with me, Josh paid me for several months, told me to literally go find my passion because he was sure I could build a business. And that was what I was destined to do. Um, I hope to be able to pay things like that forward for people in my world uh, at some point. Um, but anyway, I, I went to, uh, to, to Sedona, Arizona, went to visit my cousin, was walking down the street aimlessly, ran into a Sanskrit bookstore. And was trying to figure out what I wanted to do and kind of connect to the world. This idea of operating and supporting businesses um, that were growing in our space, emerging food and beverage with really operating and manufacturing know-how. Um, opened a, a book that translated Sanskrit words to English. Found ones that related to me. Uh, one was success. One was superpower. They both have the same Sanskrit word of city. And that's how City Ops was formed. So cool. And and for you, I mean, at this point, so, so you, you go work for this firm, you obviously were doing, I'm assuming you were doing a pretty good job. Did, were you enjoying it? Were like, were you, before you got let go, were, were you enjoying what you were doing? Force brands the, the the very, sorry, the force brands. Oh yeah. I would, look, you know, they were building out recruitment infrastructure, um, deeply. They had already mastered sales and marketing. They had entered operations and finance. 
they needed some people who really understood deep uh, CPG operations to help them kind of continue building out their expertise in that vertical and sell that business. I did enjoy it. I, that's where I fell in love with emerging food and beverage. I had no idea that amazing entrepreneurs had all of these awesome ideas, were on the ground floor, selling at farmer's markets, doing you know commercial kitchen oh, yeah. manufacturing. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. None of that was on the top of my radar. Um, and so okay. Forest Plants opened up that uh, that world to me. So so when you got the news, I remember when you told me this the first time, you guys like went and got lunch or a coffee or something, right? And he sat you down and just told you, hey, we're, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to give you some time, but this is not what you need to be doing. You need to be building your own thing. I mean, like I kind of want to kick Josh for this, but like the same amazing place that he took me to breakfast to hire me at, which I would one time try <laughs> back the hotel. Um. And that we went to many a breakfast together as friends uh, with him and his family over the years um, was the same damn restaurant he asked me to meet him at that breakfast um, and ultimately just said, like, I got You've got to go on. Like, I, I, I see so much opportunity in you and you don't want to work for someone. You have the opportunity to build something. And I think he had had, a, I forget exactly the details, but he had had a similar experience years before okay. with someone he had worked for who had done that for him. And look, Josh has gone on and created many successful businesses. Uh, and so that was clearly the right move. And um, and he gave me the same gift. That's amazing because I, I, there's probably not a whole lot of people out there that would have ripped that bandaid off and, and shoved you out the door and said, I, you're going to do better if you go figure this out on your own. Can you tell everyone, because I think, you know, the people I've had on here, most of them have gone between taking their time where they're keeping a full-time job and they're like building something in the background and then they get to leap when it gets to a certain point. Some, I would say a lot less people have just jumped into something full-time. You were kind of shoved in, which honestly, I don't think I've ever had anyone else that was kind of shoved into entrepreneurship. Can you tell everyone what that first day and week were like when you got that news? And just like, what was that process like for you when you left? Because I'm assuming at that point, you didn't necessarily have the business plan or anything buttoned up as far as like what city was going to be. So what, what were those first couple of days when you got the news? Like, what were you doing? Who were you talking to? How had you come up with the concept? Yeah, I'll go through all that. And, and I will also say, I don't think I followed any of the entrepreneurial advice that's out there, by the way. Um, and I'm not embarrassed to say that I probably would have done better had I followed it. Um, but I, like, I never had a business plan. Okay. Um, a, a written one. Anyway, I still don't by the way. Um, I, well, city capital is a fairly constructed approach to life. Now it's completely different, uh, kind of in this institutional, uh, investment world, but, but from a city ops perspective, um, we never had one. Um, I was terrified. Um, and by the way, let me just kind of take that and fast forward a second and then I'll go backwards. I'm still terrified. Oh, okay. Lot. Um, I have a mantra for my own self that if there's something I'm afraid of, I have to run into it as hard as I possibly can. Um, most of that, uh, if I'm talking about my professional life is around growth is around moving the business to the next stage is around taking risks for the types of people or employees you're hiring or, um, you know, kind of material changes in the business you're making without the guarantee. Um, those are all scary things, whether you have a business that's this big or a business that's this big, right? And in fact, the bigger the business is, the higher the stakes are. Right, um, sure. So, so 
look, I, I had had a slight, um, I training, I guess is the right terminology for this. When I left, um, my dad's business, I had $33 in my bank account. Um, I had no idea how I was going to support myself. Um, and, and really at the end of the day, I had no real material skills. I had a lot of incoming knowledge from my family business, a lot of osmosis and understanding kind of operating to a certain degree, but I, I, I didn't have like a classically trained pedigree in anything mm. like that. Um, okay. and so, so I had to, that's kind I'm kind of scrappy, I guess is the right way to say it. That's why I Definitely. ended up, yeah, yeah. I'm staying, you know, or, or heading into like a full commission job at first, right. It was because I believed I could figure out how to get there. And I did figure out how to get there. Um, and so I had a little bit of training for that. I knew how to manage those nerves a little, but here was the big material difference is that I had a lease in New York city that was like $3,700 a month or something okay. like, um, for like a 440 square foot apartment, by the way. Sure. Um, yeah. But, um, but that I didn't have that the first time around. And so that had me really panicking. Um, I will tell you that within one month I sold my car. Um, I was paying for a garage in New York, probably five or 600 bucks a month. I didn't have a car payment, but I was obviously paying, you know, insurance and everything else. But I knew I had a decent car that had some value. I sold it for $20,000. Um, and that's what ended up padding my bank account for a, a, an additional period of time while I navigated this. Um, I tried to sell my first client many times, but wasn't clear on what I was selling and got a hmm. lot of Okay. Um, there was one person uh, who who owns a, tra a trail mix business, a very successful trail mix business, uh, and and a variety of other packings, and um, he was a client of Force Brands, was looking for operational support as that business scaled. So I picked up the phone okay. and I called him and basically said like, "Hey, I went on on my own. Remember you from Force Brands? Think I can help you uh, as your business is growing." here's what I charge a month for some of the work I want to be able to do. And I stupidly picked the number that like what my salary was at Force Brands divided it by 12. And like that okay. was for the retainer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the response was, Melissa, so great to hear from you. Of course, I remember you. Yes, our business needs help and I'm totally happy to have you do it, but I'm not going to pay you that. And so <laughs> if you're willing to do it for half of what you're asking for, then I'll give you a try. And by the way, I can mm -hmm. assure you that like, if you do a really good job, I'll pay you not only what you're asking for, but more. Well, everyone says that, right? And I was like sitting there in New York going, I'm just going to get freaking taken advantage of this guy, but I have to do it because I have to eat. I have no money coming in. Right. I will okay. him a client for four years. Um, he absolutely paid me more than I was asking by two times. He set the first material pricing in city. He was my mentor who told me I needed to expand beyond myself and start hiring uh, a team. Okay. Uh, he gave me the freedom to work on his business two or three days a week and spend time building for client bases elsewhere. Um, oh, nice. That's the be best decision, you know, I ever made. Um, and by the way, you might, you may or may not ask me next, but my first hire was also a, an extraordinarily scary decision. She is still with our firm, by the way, now. Uh, but I remember sitting my wife down and saying, we can hire this person 
Okay. But we may not be able to pay all of our bills. And so do you want to take that leap? Um, what it got me was that she knew a different side of the business than I knew at the time. I knew manufacturing. I knew co-manufacturing. I knew negotiation. She knew day-to-day -day fulfillment, warehousing, logistics. And so it allowed us to open literally a whole next support in city ops um, under that expertise. And, and, you know, that business blew up within the next year or two. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it, it goes to show when you get into anything entrepreneurial, even if you think you kind of know what you're getting into, most likely you don't. And I, I can say that even from like what, what I do, I, I've had that exact same scenario where you're, you think something is worth X and you throw it out there and then you find out maybe it is, or maybe it isn't, or maybe it's worth more, or maybe it's worth less, but you just have to try. You just have to jump in. You have to see, you just have to just try. You just have to go. So you, when you did that, you got your first client was, what was, do you remember what the feeling was like? Cause at that point you, you've actually started something, but did you have like an LLC? Did you, did you do any of the normal business stuff or was it just kind of Melissa out there trying to, to get a client working you know, one-on-one -on -one for yourself? Melissa out there. Yeah. Um, I fortunately, my, my very close friend at the time, um, is a spectacular corporate uh, and commercial attorney. Um, she helped me set up that infrastructure. Um, okay. You fast forward a decade, she is now my wife and the lovely okay. children. So that that was uh, also a great thing to invest in. I was gonna um, say long term investment. But uh, but she set the the that up for me, and it was an LLC, so it was very simple. It ultimately, ended up changing into an S corp for tax reasons, by the way. But um, I literally didn't know what to do. Um, I, I kept saying to people, I have no idea where to start. Like I was still scared. I was scared to pick up the phone. I was scared to have conversations. I was scared to put myself out there. I wasn't sure how to write a one pager. I didn't have a website. Um, and so I went to people, her being one of them. And, and literally they helped me put together these few materials that like, I still have now and look at, and I'm like, oh my God, I would have never hired me or anyone <laughs> like this. Um, but it clearly got the message out there um, and sure. has evolved yeah. dramatically over time. But the client feeling, I took a picture of my first check. Mm -hmm. um, and every time I got a raise at that client with a new rep, with a new retainer value, I took a picture of that check. Um, okay. and so th those are, you know, when I talk about financial motivations for myself, I certainly have them and th that, that that's ways that I keep myself encouraged. Um, but I mean, I was ecstatic. What I had to learn at that point, and by the way, it took me a while to learn these things was having protective measures around you as a business operator, whether you're an independent person or you have a team, you have to have good contracts. You have to have service level engagement agreements. You have to have protections that if you do something wrong for your client or say something wrong or release confidential information or whatever it is that you have something that's protecting you or a cap on a, a, a liability that you may have to pay as a result of that. Um, these are all hard learnings that you don't learn on day number one when you yeah, right. ultimately build these things in to your infrastructure over time. So I will tell you that a lot of excitement went into um, a handful of clients started pouring in the door and then I went into full on panic mode. Like, how do I support all of these clients simultaneously? Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
And so you, you, you vacillate, right? And that's what entrepreneurship is, is like you go from these extreme highs to these extreme lows so quickly. And, and that, yeah, it makes a ton of sense. I know this is a question I believe I asked you before, but it's interesting. And the reason I asked too, is this is something that I battle personally in what I'm building, but for you, I'm assuming what was happening as well. You're, you're figuring out your service. You're trying to get better and better at it. You're getting more clients, like a very, probably, you know, a semi-typical service business, like how that starts. What was the jumping off point? And then realizing like, I need to go hire people. And then when you made that decision, how did you decide what they owned? I always find that very interesting as you think about the first few hires in your organization of like what their ownership was and what they needed to do and what you, what you stopped doing to allow them to flourish. What did that look like for you and for everyone listening who's maybe in that kind of boat? I'd be curious to know your thoughts. Um, again, I'll answer this as a then question and a now question because those are relevant questions for entrepreneurs and leaders no matter what stage business you're operating. Um, for me, in my particular case, it was very easy. I went and hired someone who had a knowledge in a sector, as I explained before, mm. that I did not know. So I okay. could not own trucking. I could not own picking the right warehouse. I could not own procurement. I mean, could I figure that stuff out? Of course, but like I was no expert at it. She was an expert at it. And so it was very okay. easy to say, you own day-to-day -day operations of a client in our world, um, and I'll own production, manufacturing, commercialization, new product innovation, et cetera. Okay. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And so, you know, I, I, but I, I will tell you that as the business grows and you challenge yourself as a leader, I've had at least four times now, and I'm actually in one right now. Uh, this might be the fifth time where you build yourself out of your own company. You hire really capable people. Um, and look, being a leader, at least for me, I'm a control freak in many aspects of my life. And so it's really about trust. You have to be able to deliver results really well. Uh, I, I heard a quote from Warren Buffett once that said, you need to own the three things that only you can own. Anything else that someone can do 80% as well as you can, you need to give it away. And so that's mm. what I have tried to embark on. Um, in my own development. So once I get to the point where someone can take over either a skill I don't have, which I need to hire them for, or things I do have, but I need to pass on, I need to back out. And at some point that might mean that I'm backed all the way out. And so as an example, today, I own things that no one's ever going to be able to step into like fundraising, right? Mm -hmm. um, okay. Or like setting the vision and mission of our firm. But there are other things that as the firm is developing, and people are leading certain divisions, I've stepped out to allow them to do it. But now when I look back in, I may think, oh, we need a little tweak to be more city-like or more Melissa-like or keep the things that made city have its character or reputation from the beginning. So now I have to reinsert myself, give a little bit more molding, education, teaching, coaching, and then back out again. I will tell ah. you that giving up your first <clears throat> levels of responsibility is scary every time um, because most of us go into entrepreneurship for a few reasons. One, we want to own our time. Two, we want to own our future. Three, we want to own our fiduciary 
opportunities or financial opportunities. Um, four, we don't want anyone freaking telling us what to do. Um, <laughs> right. And so, by the way, I had a wake up call that, you know, I work for my team. I work mm. for my, my clients yeah. and my portfolio companies tell me what to do all day long. I, you know, I'm, I don't have almost, I don't have freedom over my calendar. People just steal time. I, so like, you know, everything I thought I was building a company for, I'm, I, that's not true. Um, and okay. so, you, oh, that's an interesting insight. Go yeah. These evolutions. Um, so anyway, you, 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 start it when you're small and you still go through the measure building. Got it. No, I, I love that. Um, it, that, that's such an interesting insight. Cause I, I would assume those three or four things, 99% of people who jump into entrepreneurship are thinking the same thing, but that's a really interesting insight. Um, one of the things that I love to ask towards the end, which already sucks that we're, we're down to like a few minutes here. Cause I think we could talk for so much longer, Melissa. Um, speaking of stealing your time, uh, that's a really, really interesting avenue to kind of go down when it comes to, to running city capital and city ops, the whole company together is being someone at the top who is leading big teams and strategies. How do you use your time to its fullest? Knowing, like you said, like it's, it's easy for people to just like take time from you. Do you have strategies that you use to basically like be able to make sure you have enough time to get the important things done every day, every week, every month? I'm really bad at it. Um, okay. I have tried calendar blocking. I have tried, you know, setting aside time in the early morning for, you know, focus time and like late afternoon for team time. I've done all the things that people suggest doing. I think I have failed at them because we, City um, is a fully remote firm, which means that we have people in every time zone. So it's not like I show up at an office every day and everyone's there at the exact same time. I right. might personally be awake at 5.30 in the morning, but some of my team who's on the West Coast isn't, isn't awake for another four hours or three right. hours, right? Yeah. And, and so um, it's you, you, what I have really found is probably back to the, fir, to, the, to the last thing I highlighted on, which is backing out of things when people have the ability to do them fairly well. I just won't get involved in a lot of the minutia anymore. Um, what I have to ask myself is, is this something material for the outcome of my business? Is this something material for the outcome of a large portfolio company I have? Which means, mm. have I written a five, 10, $15 million check to these folks? Um, is this something material to my team, right? Am I going to lose people because I have not focused on this? Thing? Um, if, I if I can answer yes to any of those, I have to spend time there. But if it's, you know, working through some of the details to ultimately make a decision around some of those things, I let other people work through those details and then present me with those details. So how I, how I believe have not directly, but indirectly trained my team is please come to me with concise, um, kind of paraphrasing the problems that you're trying to solve for or summaries so that I can give you what I think are the right next steps. Don't pull me into the details unless it's going to impact one of those three things, because then I'm going to get stuck there for too long. 
I'm stuck in details right now in some deals that we are managing, but I have to be because it answers yes to some of those questions. Um, Got it. Okay, that makes sense. Parameters around, is my house going to fall if I'm not paying attention here? Love it. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's kind of like you have to let the the cream rise to the top and, and take it that way, right? So for you, I mean, that's time. One of the other questions I remember last time you had a good answer to this. So I want to re-ask it. Well, is, shoot, I might is, not have the same answer. I know you might have changed it. You might have changed it. Good call. It's all about getting shit done. So same kind of concept, but you know, when it comes to annual goals, whether it's for you personally, Melissa, or for City, all the way down to what you're doing this week, and ultimately, what are the big important things you need to get done today? What tools do you put around you nowadays? So I know last time I think we talked to you were mostly. You had, a, you had a couple different things, but I usually ask, is it, are you a pen and paper type of person? Do you have apps? What do you use? Like what tools does what Melissa surround herself to get shit done? I want to say you said some sort of pen and paper, but you said you're disorganized, which I, I laugh what? because we, I, 99% of people answer that with like, I don't have a process. I don't have a process. Um, yeah, there we go. <laughs> that's absolutely accurate. Um, and, and, and I'm, but I'm back to almost the same answer that I just gave you, which is weight of the decision. And okay. so um, when you talk about, look, I, I'm highly ambitious, maybe maybe more than what I should be or more than what's healthy for me or, or our firm. And what I mean by that is I push in directions okay. for growth pretty significantly. Um, and sometimes that means building the plane while flying it. And I understand that. Um, sometimes that means, by the way, allowing other people to step into leadership positions before they're ready for them. Mm. And one of the things I share, and I know I said this sometime in our last podcast, but it might not have been to this question. One of the things I share with those folks who I am pushing into those positions is that going back to the same principles I just said, I'm okay if you make a decision and it's the wrong decision, because that's how you're going to learn from it. Don't make that same wrong decision twice. That's a problem. Right. But it's right, okay right, right. if you totally fuck it up. Like, I'm cool. Where I'm not cool is if you make a decision that's going to irreparably harm this business because you've overstepped what you know how to do. So in a case like that, you have to raise your hand and you have to pull me or somebody else in so we can help you. But aside from that, dude, take it and learn from it. And so I really try and push things onto people's plates. But I will tell you, I have fallen victim to probably the same thing a lot of leaders fall to, which is pushing too much in the direction of the really capable people and Mm. not enough in the direction of those who need mentorship and development. And look, at the end of the day, we all need, you know, various levels of leaders who can own things. And so that's one of the things I'm working on in 2024 is how to make sure that the entire team grows uh, instead of just, you know, certain folks. But um, I have not learned to be protective of my time or be protective of my decisions yet. I I say yes far too often. Um, I know it's an error and I also know it is one of the reasons city has the reputation it has. Got it. Okay. No, I, I love that. That's a, that's a really good answer, Melissa. And I, the last question I got to ask is I, we kind of hit on this the last time, but I think it's really interesting, especially for the audience and, and the folks who are going to listen to this in this environment and where city's at today. Um, if you're someone who is, is designing, developing, I've already launched, and maybe they're at different stages of building a food or beverage brand that could be potentially interesting to city. What are some of the, like, you know, one to three big things that city in this environment 
it's December 21st of 23 that you guys are really looking for, for, for brands that you're investing in? Look, the market's changed materially. Um, it is now a protect your capital market instead of a take advantage of opportunity and I'm sorry to say that, yeah. uh, but young brands that are starting out are going to have a hard time winning financial support from some of the institutional investors out there. They're going to have to rely on angel investors uh, and smaller funds in order to get that going. So for us to steal a quote from my amazing co-founding partner, Stephen, if you are not growing extensively and or cash flow positive, you're dead. Um, okay. And so Fair for enough. us, you know, I'm not a, we're not the investors who beat the table to make top line growth year over year unachievable. We don't tell you that you were a $10 million business and next year you got to be 20. Like, I don't think that's practical. What I do want is a $10 million business to turn into a 12 or a $14 million business and to strengthen its bottom line and make decisions to put cash in places that are going to help its you know, margin and not mm -hmm. be defeative of it. And so um, I, I, that's one of the things we care about is, are you making decisions to not just throw cash everywhere? The growth at all costs model is out the door, but it's not just enough to say that anymore. We have to actually put the work to the bottom line. Um, our team, by the way, helps our portfolio companies with that specifically. Um, I care about, you know, mass market, non-intimidating product profiles. I don't want to have to teach you how to use a product. Like Magic mm. is a is a cereal business. Might be high protein, low carbohydrate, but it's a freaking cereal. You know how to use a cereal. You know when to eat it, when you want to eat it, when you enjoy it, if you're going to be naughty and eat it for dinner, if you're going to eat it for breakfast, you know right. how to eat it. Okay? Yeah, yeah. And it can sell to middle America and it can sell to the coast. Amazing. Like that's the type of product profile we're after. Mama Fuku, same difference, right? People, I believe, are going to have to shift from restaurant life to in-home cooking as the economy changes. And so we want to be able to provide things that are enticing to the palate, that are easy to use, that make people feel like they're living a luxurious, you know, uh, uh, a meal life, right? But doing yeah, it. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, and so David Chang has been a, a really great example of being able to do that with Mama Fuku. So, um you know, I think it's, are you solving for just a better version of a mass market thing? And then really the third is, are you a practical leader? Do you know what the times are today? Do you know what the terms are going to be to raise capital in today's setting? Do you understand that your exit opportunities are likely going to be less and less fruitful? Are mm. you willing to understand that, you know, you have to build a business that has strength at the bottom instead of growth at the top? Like not every, not every founder has come around to that yet. They all hear it around sure. them. It doesn't mean they're capable of doing it. Love that answer. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I think even last time we chatted, you were definitely saying similar things, but even in the last few months, I, I can already feel like it's gotten more and more focused on the bottom line, which is, totally. it's, it's my language. So. Well, Melissa, thank you so much. Um, I have to run, so we're going to have to wrap up this episode, but we definitely could do another one. I mean, we, we, I feel like just Let's touched the surface. We'll, we'll do another one. We, and this one did fully record. So we did a good job on that front. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you making time. I know obviously you're hella busy, so thank you so much. And, um, it was a pleasure to hear your story and I'm so pumped to be able to share this with everyone finally, as, as we've been thank trying to get so back much. on the schedule. Thank you Absolutely. so much for taking time. Cool. Thanks a lot.